Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. If you've been with us, you know that we are in week three now of a series called Hope 2020. The premise beneath all of it is that there's just enough chaos in our world right now to distract the church away from the one who gives us hope. And just enough chaos that those of us who are not yet sure what we think of Jesus, that maybe we've lost hope because the things we put our hope in have become really unstable. Okay? Did anybody expect for the S&P 500 to lose 20% of its value in 35 days and then gain it all back in 40 more? See, all the pessimists in March were like, see, I was right. And then in April, May, it does this, and you're like, something like that is a really good example that you and I are not in control. Just you and you and I think we're smart, just that we have a good theory. That theory goes flying out the window, and 2020 has provided a lot of window roll-down moments for your best theory, my best theory, to just whoosh, and it's gone. Today we're talking about hope in the midst of uncertainty. A thing or two that provided uncertainty. Yeah. I put together a short list. COVID. Secondly, leaders' responses to COVID. Right? Who knows what decision is going to happen and they'll change your mind three days later. I really do feel bad. We need to pray for our leaders a lot more. If you can be totally convinced of something on Monday and then do it about face by Friday, you're clearly strapped to a rocket, you know, trying not to kill people. Lack of information due to COVID being brand new. I wanted to point that out because we're way too judgmental of our leaders. Brand new disease. Does that provide us uncertainty? Oh, yeah. Look, here's old enough to remember the first time you heard the word AIDS. Uncertainty, terror, okay, that's a much bigger, that's a much more lethal, but you get the idea. Uncertainty of something being new. Conflicting information about COVID, does that provide uncertainty? Everyone has their medical professional supporting their opinion. How on earth am I supposed to know what to think about the future? Distrust in my leaders creates uncertainty about the future and about the present. Not knowing when or how school is going to start, that creates uncertainty. Protests that turn violent, anybody feel some uncertainty from that? The dramatization of the presidential election. It's got to be, who, who, so I've already heard it a few times, but I need somebody to testify. Raise your hand if it, leading up to the 2016 election, you heard at least one news anchor say, the stakes have never been higher. Anybody heard somebody say that leading up to the 2016 election? Yeah. Now, I want you to raise your hand, and I want you to testify. If at least once leading up to the 2012 election, you heard a news anchor say, the stakes have never been higher. I want you to 
raise your hand and testify. If at any point leading up to the 2008 presidential election you heard a news anchor say, the stakes have never been higher. I think they want us to just keep watching. Every time you've heard somebody say that, I need you to know their contract is anywhere from like four, five, six million a year if they're one of the small ones. I think Shepard Smith makes like 21 million a year. They, they need you to keep listening. They need you to keep tuning in. And accordingly, the stakes have never been high. Oh my gosh, working up into a tizzy. And what do you do with all that anxiety when the election's over? We get something to worry about. What about the constant flow of bad news? Does that create uncertainty? Negative, negative, negative. I've talked with you guys before that nobody has ever gotten on to, in front of a camera and said, reporting 7.2 billion people today to, did not die in a plane crash. Even though that's mathematically true. 7.2 billion people did not die in a war or terrorist attack today. Right? Also true, but they're not going to talk about it. Steady stream of bad news, and I'm, I'm going to get sociological on you for a second. Up until the last 150 years, you and I operated in groups of about 150 people. You know that? If you heard about a war, it was maybe you heard about it verbally, it was off somewhere, unless it was amongst your own people. And today, anything and everything that is bad, no matter which continent it happens on, it happened two hours ago, you're already hearing about it. And let me ask you an important question as a finite human being. What are you supposed to do with that? supposed to do emotionally when I find out two other people die in a plane crash you know, on the border between Somalia and Kenya? What am I supposed to do? What action am I supposed to take? Mentally, emotionally? We are being given far more information than a human being can handle, was ever designed to handle, and we see some from Genesis 1 and 2. God didn't design a world that was going to have brokenness, Rape, murder, war, distrust, theft. God didn't make that world. We brought that. But even though we brought it, we are now given more information than we have ever been. And it's information we cannot even necessarily take action on. What are we supposed to do with that? This takes uncertainty and ratches it up. I've got multiple crises going on in the world that I'm aware of. And maybe there's a hurricane, you know, in Indonesia, and somebody sets up a way I can donate money to it. I get this small sense that I made some kind of a difference. Most of what we hear about is not that way. And here's why, here, here's why I went sociological for a second. Now we're going to get theological. You and I are being told every single day, multiple times a day, about things that God knew was going to happen. Maybe broke his heart, but did not freak him out. He knew it was going to happen. And we've already been told that he works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So in some way, in the midst of the darkness, he is still going to bless his church. Yep. Amen. And neither Fox nor CNN is going to remind you that God works through even the darkest of things for the good of those who are blessed. Called according to his purpose. Okay? 
they're taking God-sized burdens and putting them onto our own shoulders. God-sized burdens, putting them onto our small, finite brains. My little heart, where I can barely navigate my own emotions. I'm going to take God-sized crises from all over the world and set it right smack on top of my heart and then hope it doesn't give me a heart attack. Brothers and sisters, there's a reason that you and I, 2,000 years ago, did not go into Jerusalem and shoulder Jesus Christ's cross. It was too big for you. And it's too big for me. And the Bible calls it hell. To shoulder Jesus Christ's cross would take you an eternity to try to pay for your own sins. And what is eternity except that you're never successfully able to pay the price? So you're stuck there. The weight of Christ's cross is an eternal weight, which is chump change for the Almighty God. He is strong enough for the things that are God-sized. And so I say all this to allow you to allow me to take a deep breath of oxygen. Brothers and sisters, some of the things that are giving us uncertainty, they are simply not ours. And I'm not saying you don't care. I'm not saying you turn the blind eye. And I'm not even saying you don't participate in protests and civil disobedience where a godless government you know, does something. Right? I'm not saying any of that. But I do want to give you permission to analyze the things in your life that are giving you uncertainty and go, Lord, is this yours? Is this actually yours to be concerned with and am I taking it on to myself right now? That might be one of the most freeing prayers that you can pray. Lord, is this something that's so big that maybe I need to let go of? I don't let go of it because I don't care. I just put it in the Lord's hands where it's always been and leave it there. I might finally rediscover my sanity if I can learn how to pray that prayer. Is this too big for me? Because I know your shoulders are broad. You can handle it. All right. Here's the thesis of what we're doing today. And I'm going to ask you to turn. There's going to be another scripture, I think, where I'm going to ask you to turn. Everything else is so many scriptures that I just put them in the notes. We can't keep flipping. Um, if you know your way around the Bible, go to Job 38. Book of Job, roughly in the middle of the Bible, chapter 38. If you're new to the Bible, there's a table of contents at the front. Those of you that are worried, the five points of the sermon that are there in your notes, you can fill in the blanks. We're going to get to those in a minute, but the most important framing for what what we're going to discuss is here toward the end of Job. Now, if you're new to church, I'm going to tell you briefly the story so you understand what's going on. There was a man who lived almost 4,000 years ago named Job. The start of the book is that Satan and all the other angels were coming before God's courts, were coming before God. And God says, have you considered my servant Job? He says this to Satan. Have you really looked at the way he's blameless and upright? And Satan says, well, of course he does what's right and honors you. He's rich. Everything's comfy. Everything's cozy. You, you've always protected him. Take away all of these blessings and he'll curse you to your face. And so, in case you haven't wrestled with God's sovereignty and authority before, it will give you a little tummy ache 
enters into a cosmic game of poker with Satan. He's basically, hey, I'll take that bet. And he allows Satan to give Job a terrible disease, allows Satan to kill all ten of Job's children on the same day, allows Satan to send people to come and steal all of Job's wealth. And the book of Job, in, in large part, are these conversations of Job talking to the Lord and dealing with the distress, dealing with the depression, dealing with the, God, are you just? Where are you? Where were you? And Job's three friends who are trying to be there to comfort him, but they are so trapped in what theologians call retribution theology. But Job clearly is a bad thing would not have happened to you unless you sinned, so what did you do wrong? Just fess up and it'll get better. And Job says rightly, what lousy comforters are you all? In the midst of my pain, you can't be there for me as a friend because you're sitting here going logically, well, I know what caused your problem. Let's just fix the problem. Does that sound like 2020 to you? I can't hear you. I can't feel your pain because I'm just going to give you some quick fix. Plug in this quick fix and then you'll be fine. So I don't feel hurt. I don't feel listened to. You don't feel me. There's no empathy. Okay. After chapters and chapters and chapters of Job processing out loud what's going on in this unbelievable suffering, chapter 38, verse 1. We're not going to read all of this, but we're going to read a lot of it. God speaks for the first time to Job. We saw him early on speak to Satan. But it's the first time. But can you imagine unbelievable suffering and you have not heard from God? You have not heard from him. And you're processing and thinking and praying and processing and thinking and praying. And you're upset, you're angry, you're despairing, you're so much, but what do I do? And then God shows up to give you a hug and a cupcake and a pet unicorn. <laughs> or he shows up inside a tornado. is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Did you feel that? You feel that warm blanket that just came from God to Job? Oh my goodness, right? But I thought Jesus was just hugs and love and rainbows. Well, listen to the whole argument. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you. And they're one of the most important phrases in the entire book of Job, and you must answer them. All of Job's questions to God, there's nothing and no one that can force Yahweh to answer Job's questions. Anybody right now needed to hear that? You have some questions? And yet God is so infinite in his wisdom and in his capabilities. Do you know God does not owe you or me an answer? Aren't you so glad you came to church today? He's <laughs> not owing me an answer actually has to do with his infinite wisdom. He'll answer every question that need, my heart needs to be answered. He just knows more than I do. I've got some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. 
Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? Who made its cornerstones? And the, as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. So real quick, testify. Okay, who here has been to the beach? I'm hoping it's everybody. Anybody here been to the beach? Anybody successfully controlled one of the waves when it decided to come that way? You told the wave, nope. Anybody successfully controlled one of the No? Oh. Okay. Anybody run screaming like a little girl because it was so cold? Yeah, okay. Because you. Yeah, now your dad took you to Bodega, but all he told you was we're going to the beach, and you have this image in your mind of like Manhattan Beach, and it's going to be warm, and I'm going to have to watch out for a shark. No, he took you to Bodega, and you freeze your buggies off. That's what happened. Okay? He just said all bodies of water, all the ocean, thought them up, spoke them into existence, and gave them boundaries. What did you enjoy when I did that? I said, this far and no farther will you come here, your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you teach each to, can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this. For you were born before it was all created and you are so very experienced. You guys didn't know really you got sassed people, did you? Yeah. Anybody with a, with a teenager, like, hey, I got some sass for you. Like, hey, look at this. Let's skip ahead because you're getting, I think you're getting the idea of where is going. Go with me to chapter 40, verse 3. Chapter 40, verse 3. Should just be the next page or so. Then Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How can I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Anybody think that's probably a very good, wise, humble response when God says, hey, you're getting a little bit big for your bridges? And I'm pretty sure a loving God, after Job clearly humbled himself, he'd be done. Instead, there's verse 6. Then I answered Job and brace yourself. He keeps going for another two chapters. Can you believe it? Job thinks he's had enough, and God says, no. Well, I was only, that was halftime. I have more for you. And what 
God says all throughout this response is not, hey, Job, you have sinned. It's not that you have um, called me evil, but Job, your perspective is so human. What you can see is completely 100% appropriate for a human. And let's be honest about wisdom literature. As a man of God, he can probably see a lot more than the one that the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes would call the fool. There are plenty of human beings with less perspective than Job. Job can see a lot for a human being. But that's not what God's talking about. When all of the deepest questions of life are welling up in my heart, because I can't see the future, and let's be honest, five months ago we were just pretending that we could see the future. Can we, can we own that right now? When everything is calm, there aren't any diseases, and there's a little bit less political fighting than normal, when everything's fine, Maybe the reason we have a degree of peace is because we're assuming that tomorrow is going to be like today. And we assume that because today was pretty similar to yesterday. It's an illusion. There's not one of us that September 10th, 2001 said, I think that some people are going to fly some planes into some buildings tomorrow. On September 10th, we thought September 11th was going to be like the 10th because the 10th was a lot like the 9th, but it was a lot like the 8th. That is, brothers and sisters, how small you and I's perspective is. We are mere mortals, and that's not bad news even though it presses in against our pride. That is the best news ever. I am small, and God has given me all the permission in the world to be small. And here's how the smallness plays out, and you want to know how God gives permission. When he says things like, trust me. Do you guys realize that the command, the invitation to trust God is permission to be small? You don't have to have God-sized burdens on your heart. You don't have to have God-sized burdens on your finite mind. You don't have to muscle it out. You don't have to have the strength for these things that cause fear and uncertainty. Trust me makes us freak out because we want God-like strength, wisdom, power. I feel like I heard this. Genesis 3. God told you not to eat that fruit because when you do, he knows you're going to be like him. Brothers and sisters, you and I are still eating that fruit to this day. We want his knowledge. We want his wisdom. We think we're strong enough to bear all of what reality is and we are not strong enough for it. It is a precious gift to be small. I'm raising a couple of kids right now, and I, get, I have an example put in front of me every single day. How precious the things. There are some things that Cabrina is old enough to concern herself with. If you're new, my daughter's 11. There are some things that are appropriate at age 11. There are some things that are not appropriate, and Daddy and Mommy are going to take care of those things. Okay? My son is two. He doesn't have to worry about a darn thing, because he's two, right? And how precious that mom and dad would work hard to make sure that he is allowed to be two. How abusive if we were to put big things onto him. Okay? So, God keeps going, but I already told you the, the gist. Okay? God 
God's rebuke of Job is not, hey, you sinned. It's a, you need to embrace how limited you are, and that's a good thing. And in that limitedness, you're going to have to trust me. Okay? All right. So, you A-type note takers that are super nervous how long I've gone and you've not filled in a single blank. Leslie. <laughs> Grab your pens. Here's the thesis and the most important part. The last two gonna just be examples. This is essentially a one-point sermon. In the midst of uncertainty, I have a choice to make. Grasp at control or remind myself of God's immense power. Grasp at control or remind myself of God's immense power. A couple of weeks ago, I talked briefly, and it's probably going to come up a lot during this series, about the definition of the word trite. Somebody says something to you that is true, but it's so not helpful right now. I don't, you're not listening to me, you're not feeling my pain. Anybody ever been told before, at a terrible moment, you ever been told, oh, God's in control, honey, but it's, it's not, it's just, it's true, but it's not what you needed to hear at that moment? Okay. You guys think further back. Oh, yes, I have been told that. 100% true. 100% not helpful right now. Thank you so much. And I grew up in a pastor's family, so it's like, you can't even say anything back. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, for sure. We're, uh, we're varsity Christians. We, we for sure believe that God's in control. We don't despair. We don't cry. We don't lose hope. Nope. And the pastor's family, you don't have S's on your chest secretly behind your you know, plaid shirt. Um, God is in control. 100% true. Not always helpful. Sometimes it is. And so I worded this the way I did on purpose. My options are to grasp that control or to remind myself of God's immense power. Now, for sure, it can be helpful if some, if a brother or sister in Christ is trying to remind us of God's power, and that does need to happen sometimes. It's going to be up to, to their people's skills of how they can get this message across to me, and I still feel loved and cared for. That's hard. You know it's a lot easier? If I will take it on one of our core values is growing in Christian maturity, if I will take it on as a healthy, normal rhythm of being a Christian, that I am going to remind myself of who my God is. This lightens the load on brothers and sisters. They don't have to remind me as much now. Does that make sense? Say yes. If I will remind myself, because um, nasty little uh, secret for some of you and the Jerusalem's of the world, this book is about God. Did you guys know that? It's not about you. It's not. Bible says even in his saving of you, he glorifies himself. The faith that you were given to believe was a gift so that no man can boast. Human beings boasting is the most asinine thing in the whole world. If you read this book and believe it's true, what are they boasting about? Yeah, Christ and him crucified. Okay, so me thinking that uh, I'm, a, I'm a big deal, huge problem, right? If I remind myself of who God is, so yes, that was a long way of saying, read your Bible, study your Bible, cherish the Bible. If I remind myself of who God is, 
This is, this is the opposite behavior. This is going to be opposite result of trying to grasp it, controlling things I can't possibly control. Okay? So we're going to do this lightning fast. I'm going to fill up. Oh, it's not five, it's six. Yay! These six points are not really points. They're just examples of ways that we can remind ourselves of who God is. Okay? Because we need to... I would say we beat the Methodists to the Sizzler. That's my standard joke, but no one's allowed to go there now. So, so we're going to do this pretty quickly. Number one for you note-takers. Hope grows as I see God's power over human leaders. Hope grows as I see God's power over human leaders. Some of you guys need this one badly right now. You need this to be the entire sermon, but we don't have the time. So, allow, so I put a few key scriptures in there, and I would really, really love it, because we're not able to turn and turn and turn to this and that. Please make a Bible study out of these sermon notes this week, ARCF. Okay? Watching God smash Pharaoh is good for the soul. Watching him mercifully warm the heart of Nebuchadnezzar Man, and we're, we're terrible, you know, reading the Old Testament, it's like, okay, God made the world, and then there's some rules, and uh, let's skip to Matthew. <laughs> right? We get freaked out by Daniel because the second half of the book has a lot of visions and things that are hard to interpret, but the first half is really crystal clear. God loves being in rulers. The rulers that you and I love to shake our fist and curse and don't tread on me, all of that. The first half of Daniel was, yeah, he's a pagan, yeah, he's going to go to hell if I don't do something in his heart. Watch me work. Yep. Amen. Even to the point of driving Nebuchadnezzar mad so that he crawls around in the grass for seven years eating the grass like a cow because he'd gone insane until he looked up into the heavens and gave God glory and received his sanity back. Brothers and sisters, you and I need to pray for our leaders more. When I watch God move around Herod, who wants to kill the Messiah, wants the Magi in a dream to go back a different way, tells Joseph to go to Egypt, tells Joseph to go, you know. And then Matthew just calmly says, oh, and then they found out that Herod died. And so they went back, blah, blah, blah. It's just this kind of little footnote. Oh, Herod the Great, you built all those cool architectural things, and the ancient historians think you're a big deal, and you know what Matthew thinks of you? And he died like everyone else. And then Jesus' story continued. And he just went, oh, you're going to die like everyone else, and then Jesus' story is going to continue. Okay? Brothers and sisters, it's good for the soul. Hope grows as I watch God's power over human leaders. Second, hope grows as I see God's power over the physical universe. Hope grows. Genesis 1 and 2, creating the world in the first place. Did the physical world, if you can take a group of people who speak the same language and go, ah, 25 languages, go. Huh? Part the Red Sea, the ground down beneath is dry. Does this matter? His worship over the physical world matters a lot if you're afraid of getting a disease and dying from it. Does God show consistent worship over the diseased 
throughout scripture of the broken things? Does he show a consistent pattern of redemption, a consistent pattern of glorifying himself? Does he have the strength to make COVID disappear like that? Does he want his children to cry out for the things that he yearns for, like healing, wholeness, reconciliation? Does he want his children to ask for that? And, now a question you don't want me to ask, are we not praying for the healing of COVID because we're just deep down not sure he's going to say yes? So we struggle with trusting God with the results. I want to ask him to heal something, but there's something in my brain that goes, ah, no, that's too big, and I move on. Ask for something smaller. Like a parking spot at Costco. Okay, that's a mid-sized bird, but that's not small. That's at least mid. Third, hope grows as I see God's power over Satan. Hope grows as I see God's power over Satan. Again, the first uh, chapter, six verses of the book of Job, it is fascinating and very necessary that we see Satan has to ask for permission to do bad things to Job. And this will wreck your faith in the short term if you've never been told that I need you to go on this journey. If you're going to be a beast, that's millennial for strong. If you're going to be strong in the kingdom of God, not just like a half-dead fish floating down the street, I need you to wrestle with the reality that perhaps, just perhaps, a sovereign God has allowed suffering. Suffering that he didn't cause. Satan, sin, death, our rebellion from Genesis 3 brought these dark things into the world. But wrestle with the fact that a sovereign God allowed it to happen and did something for his glory inside your heart in the midst of the pain. If you can wrestle with that and come out saying, like Job, <laughs> naked I came into this world, naked I will leave it. Well, Greg can complain over whether we get to meet inside or outside. He just lost his 10 kids. Brothers and sisters, if you can wrestle with the fact that a sovereign God allowed the dark things to happen, and he has some very wise reason why he allowed it, and that his love for you is not any way marred by what he allowed you to go through, if you can wrestle with that, there is nothing in the 21st century that can assault your faith in Christ. There's nothing. Because now you trust God to be God. There's nothing that will shake you. And I also put in Revelation chapter 20. Hope grows as I see that every dark and evil thing that I see in my world, that Satan is just a dog on a leash. I need to see that. I need to know that. Scripture reminds me of that. Fourth, hope grows as I see God's power over death. Matthew 28, Jesus walks out of his own tomb. Brothers and sisters, our response right now to uncertainty reveals whether we believe that's a myth, a fable, a cute story, an inspirational talk, that got morphed and passed between the apostles as they made up a, a, a religion. That's the Dan Brown theory. Because an actual
rational belief in Christ's power over life and death, it changes the way I think, it changes my passions and what they're directed at, it changes my responses. If he is over life and death, if God is bigger than that, my hope grows. I don't need certainty anymore over whether I live or whether I die. And it's not lost on me that as a relatively healthy 35-year-old man that doesn't have the same power. But I want to tell you something. If I could get Chris dancing here right now, he'd tell you the same thing. We need saints, whether young or old, that are on or have been close to death's door. We need to hear from saints and say, it's the biggest Christ dies even better for me. We need to hear from them. Because as young bucks, we think we're going to live forever. I need to see his power over death. But he tells death itself to knock it off and walks out of his own tomb. My hope grows when I remind myself he raised Lazarus Ether Elijah raised the widow's son. He can do whatever he wants. Fifth, hope grows as I see God's power over sin. Hope grows as I see God's power over sin. It's so easy to watch on the evening news and go, they're sinning, they're sinning. Oh, that's a record. I think he just broke all 11 out of the Ten Commandments in one evening. And she's a sinner, and he's a sinner, and there's, oh man, they're all sinning. Let me ask you an important question, ARCF. Is God freaked out that everybody is sinning and doing something wrong? No. Brokenhearted? Yes. Angry when his image bearers are raped, murdered, lied to, manipulated? Absolutely. Anger and sadness, absolutely. But is he afraid? There's no reason for a sovereign God to be afraid. He's in control. He has total power over sin. And in case you don't know, I need you to know something. The bad news and the, the best news ever. In his sovereignty, the Almighty God has chosen to deal with all of human sin. He did not just leave us to our own devices. Even each of us can, because we so hate the idea of God being Lord over me, we can choose on our own to set our own accounts with God. It's called going to hell. And I will spend eternity suffering for the damnable arrogance that I have displayed toward him for however many years the Lord gave me on earth. I can choose to set my own account, and that's my right. I have every right to do that. And lots of people have been choosing that for a long time. That whole self-reliance, put it on your own shoulders thing. Do you guys see how that sounds a lot like hell? Hell is, I'm going to take this off to my own shoulders. I'm going to handle it. I got this. The bottle of hell. I got this. Or, or, Paul said in Ephesians, but God, the, the two most important words in the whole Bible. Being rich in mercy, right? Okay. 
faith, I can take all of the weight of my own sin and say, Jesus, would you please take this onto your own shoulders as you march to your death? Would you please take, I know it's not right, but it's not fair, you didn't do any of these things, but would you take them on yourself as if you had sinned? He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Not just borrowed it, not put it on like a backpack, became it. That the Father looked at him as he hung on the cross, as putrid, as disgusting, as the filthy rags that Isaiah described being tossed up onto the altar. The Father looked at Jesus and he became sin. That we might become the righteousness of God. Not be righteous like God, not look pretty holy, become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters in the faith, you are becoming every good, holy, and blessed thing that is in the heart of our Father. You're becoming it. Amen. He's not just taking you into something, he's making you into something fundamentally different. You're an incarnation. From the bones up, you don't feel right now like your essence is defined by love, but when he's done with you and you're in heaven, you will be. You don't feel like you're in your bones, you're defined by joy, but he slowly starts working on you, and one day you will be. There will not be one drop of sin in you one day if you have chosen to allow Jesus to bear the full weight of your sin for you. If you're going to ARCF, what I just said, this is who we are. Sixth. Hope grows as I see God's power over my old self. My old self. If you're a Christian, you know that there are two selves. It's who I used to be, born of what Paul calls the flesh, the old self, rebellious, and only ever hates God, distrusts God. The new self, born of the Spirit, loves God, cherishes God, trusts God. And Paul says, I am at war. So that's why I included Romans 6 in your Bible study for this week. See how I just took the notes? I said it's a Bible study. Now you have to go do something with it. Go look at Romans 6, and you're going to find so much encouragement. Anybody ever beat themselves up for sinning? Let's just own it and beat yourself up. Okay. Because you know the Holy Spirit didn't fail. And you know that the Bible wasn't weak. And you don't want to blame your church. All right, okay, what's the last? What are the other components of my sanctification? Oh, me. I'm a lousy Christian. Right? Okay? If you want some protection from beating yourself out of one, get into a group and be honest with people so they can lovingly push and pull, help just shape you into the image of Christ. But if you want some, some protection from your enemy's voice when your growth feels painful and slow, go back to Romans 6. Go back to Romans 6, because Paul was more awesome than you, and he's wrestling. He sneezed and three churches got started. Okay? He knew how many verses than you. His Awana little crowns were all filled out. And he had the badges upon the badges. Okay? And he wrestled with his old self. He wrestled with the old Paul. I'm going to ask you to do something. If you're an auditory learner, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. If you're more of a visual learner, I want you to look down at your notes. This prayer has been written out on your notes and then we're going to be done.
not creedal, but I just tried to put this in the words as best as I could. We're going to pray this prayer. You did not design me to carry the weight of the world, Lord. That's your job. You are well suited for it. I will take a deep breath. I'll ask you to heal the world. And I'm going to release the situation to you. Nothing and no one has ever told me to care for my own soul, except you, Lord. You are so good to me. We praise you in the strong name of Jesus. And God's people said, love you guys. Have a great week.